Good morning, Willow Park Church. Thank you for joining us. My name is Luke. I'm an apprentice pastor here, and I get the privilege of preaching this morning. Uh, But before we get to that, we're going to spend some time in worship, and we're going to do communion together, and we're just going to spend time just focusing on the Lord, praising Him. So if you have uh, juice or bread, I'd get that ready for after the worship set. And uh, I'll pray before we worship as Chris and Jesse lead us. And yeah, so let's just pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we get to praise you. Thank you that you are so worthy of our praise. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us incredible grace and mercy even when we were against you. Lord, thank you for your steadfast love that surrounds us. I pray that you bless this service, Lord, that everybody listening, Lord, that we would just be filled with your spirit, that we would know you, that we'd be filled with the fullness of your love that surpasses knowledge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoy worship. Good morning, church family. I'm Chris, and this is Jesse, and we're super excited to lead worship for you this morning. Um, Would you just join me as I open up in prayer? And as we just invite the Holy Spirit into our homes, into the place that we're all listening to this, um, and I just bless you in your, the place that you are, that, that the Holy Spirit would um, speak to you and, and speak revelation upon your life. So, yeah, God, we, we love you. Thank you for worship, God, the gift of worship, the gift of music and song that we get to um, be creative and we get to... Um, sing out loud to you, the King of Kings. Would you just anoint this time of worship, Holy Spirit? Would you use us um, and go before us this morning, this week, and this year? We love you so much. Pray this in your name. Amen.
can stop the Lord Almighty? Who 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 can stop the Lord Jealous for me, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful. You are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. And oh, how he loves us. How he loves us so. Yeah, he loves us. And oh, how he portion 
Here's our prize Drawn to redemption By the grace in his eyes His grace is an ocean We're all sinking So heaven meets earth Like a sloppy wet kiss in my Every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you 
Jesus, a name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for you. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you We live for you Jesus Jesus a name above every other name the only one you could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my Heart and lead me in the 
God, that's our prayer. God, that we would build our lives upon your word, God, upon your truth of who you are. And God, we just thank you for this time together to worship as one body, as your church. We thank you for this time just to, just to reflect, to sing songs of praise and adoration to sing songs that are the cries of our hearts, that are prayers from our soul. Yeah, God, we just love you so much and we thank you for this time together. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed that worship with Chris and Jesse. We're going to do communion now, so hopefully you got your bread and your juice together. I'm going to read through this passage and we're just going to take the body Take the bread, take the juice together. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 27. And actually before I read 23 onwards, I'm going to read verse 27. It says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So before we do this, I'm just going to pray and we're going to just ask for forgiveness for whatever sins that we haven't asked for forgiveness for already and so that we can take this beautiful, sacred, these, this body and this bread that, that, and this juice that Jesus died on the cross for us. We don't want to take this um, lightly. We want to just reflect in this moment and make sure that we're in the right heart and headspace. So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your body broken on the cross. We thank you for your blood poured out. Lord, and before we take of the bread and the juice, we just ask for forgiveness for all of our sin. God, we ask that you would forgive us for all the sins that we know we've committed, for the ones that we don't know that we've committed. Would you forgive us? In Jesus' name. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for saving us, for bringing us from death to life, for bringing us into your family that we get to be your children. What incredible love that is. Thank you for washing us clean from our sin, for giving us new life, abundant life. 
in your name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pass it over to Courtney and the family news, and then we'll come back and uh, I'll preach. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us online or in person, welcome and here's your family news. We still have a few spots open for our musical theater summer camp for kids aged 9 to 15 from August 16th to 27th. If your child loves to sing, dance, or act, this is the camp for them. Visit our website to sign up as a camper or as a volunteer at willowparkchurch.com theatercamp. We love hearing from you, and we hope you'll take a few minutes to fill out our annual church survey. Filling out this survey is also a good way to get connected in a care group or get more involved at Willow Park Church. Visit our website today at willowparkchurch.com survey. Every year, our Lake Country campus has a back-to-school giveaway where we give backpacks, clothing, and more to families in need. This year, the back-to-school giveaway is also coming to Kelowna. For the Kelowna event, we invite you to pack a backpack. Please pick up an empty backpack at church this week and fill it with items for a child in need. We're also looking for volunteers for both our Lake Country and Kelowna events. We will need people to help with distributing backpacks and food, parking attendance, and activity attendance. You can sign up to volunteer at willowparkchurch.com volunteer. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. We've been working through a, uh, a series called Power Up, and we've been looking at the theology and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, oh, welcome online as you join us. Sorry, Ash, that, was, that was bad manners. Welcome to the house, the home. We're glad you are here joining us at 11 o'clock. And uh, we're, uh, we're in the middle of this series called Power Up that focuses on the work of the Holy Spirit. And over the last couple of weeks, as Sarah has already mentioned, we've been focusing on the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, today I'm going to look at a topic that really we don't like this word even. Our culture does not condone it, encourage it. It doesn't, uh, doesn't position as well to be able to uh, really see this fruit of the Spirit come into our lives. So we're going we're gonna to jump into Galatians 5 in just a second. Uh, I, was, I was getting uh, ready this morning and I was having a shower. And I was just thinking, this is my, uh, my 30th year of preaching the gospel. I started when I was 18. I know, I know what you're thinking. It looks like it should be a lot longer than that. But um, 30 years, I started at 18, and uh, I'm, I'm 49 in a few months' time, and I was just reflecting, and I still, the Lord just brings to memory so often my first sermon, um, and it's a great way of just bringing humility to my life. Uh, Sarah was there, uh, sat just like she is now on the front row. We were dating, and I spoke to a, a group of youths uh, about who shall deliver me from this body of death. That was my text from Romans chapter 7. I still remember their faces of like that. All the way through my sermon, I had a tie on, everything. I, had, I was just, I was going for it. That was my first sermon. Um, and then I think about all the different places and opportunities and the way that the Lord has just brought to, to today where I don't know how many sermons I've preached, but very quickly after the age of 18, it was pretty much every week and and uh, I'm very, very grateful for that. Through the years, I've had a lot of advice. 
Some of it very, very well-meaning, most of it very well-meaning, and uh, some of it like, kind of leaves you a little bit squinty-eyed listening to the advice after. And, and, and I don't say this by way of the preachers or certainly myself. I'm not open to anybody's thoughts or concerns. Uh, trust me, over the years, I've had many, many conversations. But I do remember one in particular I'm still a little confused about. And sometimes uh, Satan will use it as a way for, to stop me from saying certain things. I remember I was preaching and somebody very well-meaning came to me afterwards and said, you're too honest and transparent about yourself. That's what they said. And I was like, so you'd prefer for me to lie? Or? And I think what they were getting at is that I shouldn't give examples to show too much vulnerability because um, it kind of makes people feel uncomfortable, I think, is what they were coming to. Um, well, if you've been around the South for the last 11 years, which is how long Sarah and I have been uh, pastoring this church, you'll know that I have, there's been moments of deep vulnerability in the pulpit. And, uh, and it, I don't say that because uh, I'm trying to one-up people. Because we always get into a place, right, when you share something that's going on in your life, uh, part of us just being human will go, well, you think you've got it bad. Well, give me five minutes, let me tell you what's going on in my world. You know, I'm, and we need to guard from that. But I do want to just let you know that this has been the worst 18 months pastoring ever. There you go. I was just vulnerable to you. I was transparent. Um, and that might make you feel uncomfortable. And immediately some of you might go in, well, you think you got it bad. And you know what? I, I'm sure you've had it bad too. But as for me and my house... This has been a very, very unusual, taxing, challenging year to pastor within. This, if you said this is what pastoring was going to be, this is what the calling was going to be, then I probably would have said 30 years ago, yes, because I was that daft, I don't know. But honestly, it's not been a good year. We were confused. I was confused on Friday. I got inundated with texts and emails. Well, indoor gatherings, what, are we allowed to do church? It's like, yes, we are, because the government have always differentiated between indoor gatherings and faith gatherings. We're a faith gathering. You look back at the old protocols, faith gathering is different from indoor gathering. And, and you just go, oh, Lord, when is this going to come to an end? I think about some of the circumstances and and processes that I've had to get involved in as executive pastor when it comes to staffing and budget. Difficult, tear-filled conversations that I've had with people in my office because COVID has resulted in decisions that have been really, really difficult to make and difficult for people to work through. And then that isn't even talking about the pastoral uh, challenges that that really I don't know whether we have a, an understanding of what's really going on yet. Marriages, family tensions, all the things that often pastors get involved in at earlier stages, we've yet to find out what impact that this pandemic is going to have on our society, not just when it comes to jobs and the economy, but I'm talking about emotions and, and psychology and mental health and everything else. It's been a... As we'd say in Britain, it's been a bit rubbish, hasn't it? It really has. And so this sermon this morning, I think, is, speaks to those who are weary, those who are worried, those who are tired, those who have received bad news, those of you who are just weary of fighting. And, it, and it's a sermon that is based on something that is very clear all through the Scripture. But first, 
Let's talk about Disney. I remember taking Zoe to Disney about three years ago as her uh, well done on getting through university award. Uh, she got her degree in psychology. We went to Disney. She was so excited. I jokingly said, you know, you should wear the Disney ears for the whole time, thinking, you know, a 22, 23-year-old young lady is going to just go, no way, Dad. Oh, she wore them, and she was very happy to do it. She had a perpetual big grin on her face the whole time. It was like, honestly, and I know, I don't know if she's here this morning. I know she wouldn't mind me saying, it was like taking an 11-year-old Zoe around it was brilliant. It was wonderful. But the thing that, that all of you who have ever been to any theme park can understand and recognize is when you start lining up, they tell you lies. It's lies because you're like, oh, I remember lining up for cars, which is a fantastic ride. It was brilliant. But it's just perpetual hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs said, you think the ride is going to start and then you get around that corner and the lines go off into eternity and then back again, and then off again, and back again. And so you just like, okay, we've got to settle in for the next two and a half hours just so we can spend the next two minutes on this ride and create a memory. And I have to say, it's worth it. But halfway through that line, something happens that is just everything in me screams out in frustration. And yet, Maybe on the outside, there might be a little bit of an inkling, I'm not sure. But it's when you've been lining up for an hour, and you know you've got another hour and a half to go, and you're tired of looking at the person in front of you, back, or the kids that are going nuts over here, whatever. You're just like, oh, when is this going to ever end? And then somebody just walks right past you because they got that fast pass. And they've spent a bazillion dollars on being able to flaunt their way in, go past all the lines, straight into the ride, and you're just like, oh, I hate that. And yet, you know, deep down inside, if you were the person with that fast pass, you would be flaunting it too. You know, it's, 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 that's just the nature of being human. We want to get going. We are impatient for the end goal. Today's message is all about that feeling of feeling like you've been lining up for years and years, and years. And you don't know when the end of that line is going to come. Because I know that when it comes to challenges in life, there is no fast pass. Our culture likes to tell us that there is. If you do this, the 10 top tips for tricking, hacking your way through life, it doesn't work. Not only doesn't it work, it's just not, it's not helpful it's not helpful to us that we have to, and, and we as parents need to teach our children and um, our Gen Z young adults that life doesn't, you don't get a fast pass, that you actually have to start at the bottom of the hill and you need to climb, and the climb is good. And so in that light, let me show you the scripture that is our key scripture this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and everyone said, patience. Oh, we don't like Kindness, we can do kindness, or at least we can pretend to be kind. You know, we can do goodness and integrity and faithfulness and self-control. And, you know, but that, we even want peace. Give us a bit of joy. I can be loving. Patience. And then Sarah's already referred to James. I like James. James is one of those characters in the Bible where you just go, oh boy, he was fun to have at a party, hey? Just says it as it is. Like, he's just going to go here. Be patient. 
therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient over it. There it is again, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble. So he's just, he's getting in there. He's really digging at stuff. We're going to talk about grumbling this morning. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may, or sisters, you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Um, Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So there's this passage that's all about patience. You've got to understand, regardless of how bad we think we have got it in our culture, the people that James is speaking to have got it worse, I promise you. There was landowners that were coming in at James's time. He refers to it at the beginning of chapter 5, and there was murder going on. There was terrible hardship. There was famine. It was horrendous. And what is James's answer? Rise up, people. Let's, let's print banners. Let's go walk. Let's yell a lot. No, it's be patient. Be patient. The word be there tells us that we have a choice in this patience. Be, purpose, uh, be patient. And he goes at the end there, talks about the purpose of the Lord. What is the purpose of the Lord? What is the ultimate purpose of the Lord? Well, at the beginning of James, he also reminds them, chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be, this is the purpose of the Lord, you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. You want to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. You see, God has a purpose and a plan. His purpose and plan is that you be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. That you might, as the scripture says, prosper in all ways, just as your soul prospers. Not just financially, but in all ways. That all the things that our culture promises you are at the end of the influence rainbow, possessions rainbow, money rainbow, uh, popularity rainbow, all those things actually can be found in Christ. That those, those things that we are wired to chase after can only be found in being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, For we are his workmanship. In the Greek, that word workmanship is poema, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This word workmanship, this purpose of the Lord for you and I as a Christian brother or sister, it's a beautiful word. It literally is well, it's where we get our word poem from. You can see that in the spelling. It literally means that we are God's work of art. These creating a masterpiece over your life, Christian friend. That this masterpiece is a beautiful, divine poem that he brought into case when he thought about you before the foundation of the world. That while he was knitting us together in our mother's womb, it says in Psalm 139, we were fearfully and wonderfully made. That he decided your form and substance, your form, he decided what you were going to look like. 
So all those kind of elements of your appearance that you don't like, part of God's plan, my friend. So can we relax into it? You know, because I said many, many times, gravity always wins. Right? So things that are sagging and lagging and bagging, it's just going to happen. It's part of God's plan for us, Psalm 139. And our substance literally means our, what makes you, you. What makes, what gives you uh, your unfair advantage in life? What makes you just unique? God created that. He didn't make a mistake. There's no design flaws. Sin breaks stuff. But when he was thinking about you, he wasn't like, I've said this before, he wasn't like he got distracted in heaven one day and made a mistake and went, okay, well, we'll just let him carry on anyway. It's like God created you with a purpose and completeness in mind to be a divine poem. That you are being made perfect, Christian friend, as we patiently wait. But we don't like that. You might be here this morning and just wrestling with faith and spirituality. You're not sure whether Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, you, you feel that tension, and that's okay. We're glad you're here. We're, we're grateful that you're here. In the fall, we're going to be going... Do you remember the FAQ series that we, uh, that we did in 2018? We're going to do FAQ 2 this fall. We're going to look at some of the things that you might be wrestling around. But can I tell you that deep down inside, there is a divine fingerprint. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about it. You just know that there's something more, which is why you strive for something more all the time. Can I tell you the journey, the discovery is over. Let me tell you what the more is. The more is that you've been created to be a divine poem. You are incredible. You've been created with a purpose to be complete and perfect in Christ Jesus. That is your destiny if you come to him and believe in Christ and confess him as Lord. That is the promise. No design flaws. But don't we, as one of my, uh, when I was young, one of my favorite bands used to say, I want it all and I want it now. Thank you, Freddie Mercury. It's not been very often I've quoted Freddie Mercury from the pulpit, I must admit. But he's right. That is the culture that we live in. We don't want to wait. Want it now. And we believe the lie that somehow we can get it now. We want the piece of art. The piece of art sounds great. Lord, make me a beautiful masterpiece now. Don't want to wait. But actually, waiting is where the joy is. Waiting is where the change happens. Waiting is where the masterpiece is truly put together. I don't know much about poetry. My wife has written beautiful poetry in the past, and she used to do that often. I I know something about art. That's my kind of thing, design and art. It takes time to draw and pull something together. Ultimately, it's going to look beautiful. It doesn't come now. We want the piece of art. We just don't want the process. But then we look at our culture, Our culture of I want it all and I want it now. Our culture cultivates and encourages impatience. Impatience. That's our culture's mantra. That you deserve it now. You deserve it quicker. We are willing to pay more to get something quicker. We we get impatient if we 
you know, as, as we got onto Amazon and they're only delivering the next day, can we not have it this afternoon? I want to jump the line. I want to get ahead. It needs to be faster, quicker. The computer's too slow. My phone needs to be replaced because the signal that's going from my phone to the satellite in space and back down again is less time than it, it's more time than it ought to be. You know, we, we're just impatient. Everything's about life hack and shortcuts. And this is what society tells us. Impatience, and I actually read this in a, in a psychology paper this week, the, the not having patience or being impatient results in poor judgment, poor decisions, restlessness, or as we might say, being discontent, having a harsh attitude towards others, and unnecessary stress. We are not designed to be impatient. One of the best definitions that I have ever uh, seen about success, this is not from the Bible, um, one of the best definitions of success, and I read it many, many years ago. I couldn't even tell you where it came from, and I've quoted it here before, is this. Success is the continual realization of a worthy ideal. Success is not the worthy ideal. Success is found in the continual journey and realization of that ideal. And friends, Christian friends, we need to understand that we are on a journey. It's a success journey, if you like, but I think it's deeper and more, uh, fun, uh, more significant than just success in the terms of the world. But we're on a journey. And this journey seems like the line just goes on and on and on. You might look at the circumstance. You might look at the challenge. You might somewhere deep inside of you believe that God's plan for you is that you be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. But you look at where you are in the lineup, or as we would say in Britain, in the queue, and you'd go, I I don't think God's making the right decisions over my life right now. I think there's some mistakes going on. Maybe I have sinned. Maybe this has happened. Maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to read more, pray more, do more. But you need to understand that actually there's joy and glory found in the journey. One of the most uh, I would, helpful books that I've read over the last couple of years, and, and I've recommended it to you before, is uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. He is very honest in his book when he says that he got that term, the ruthless elimination of hurry. It was a quote from Dallas Willard when he was asked, if, you know, what piece of advice would you give in terms of increasing in your spirituality? He said, make it your aim to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. That hurry and rushing around and being impatient actually precludes you from God's very best for you. You were not created. I was not created to bounce from one thing to the next thing, from one kid's activity to another kid's activity to another thing to another thing to another thing, all under the umbrella of grasping life and getting the most out of it. That is a lie. Grasping life and getting most out of it. As you read this book and actually as you live life a little bit, you'll find that life is meant to be lived with contentment, with rest, with joy. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry, Dallas Willard said. And psychologists and doctors would tell us that that leads to better mental health. It leads to better relationships. It leads to better decisions because we're not rushing. And it leads to increased contentment. I think deep down inside we know that truly that statement that patience is a virtue is true. That patient people seem to have an air of serenity and contentment around them that we think, oh, that must be just special to them. They're a patient person. Whereas that's our calling. 
And I look at the last 18 months and I look at life and I know because I know some of your stories and we look at our circumstance and challenge and go, when is this ever going to come to an end? And if we're putting our, placing our hope in that, we will always be impatient. If you're placing your hope in anything that is part of this world, anyone that is in this world, you're placing your hope in that, on your own achievements, on your degree, on your money, on your family, on your circumstances, you are always going to be discontent and always impatient because you are never going to find that which you've been truly created for, which is to be content and full of rest. So, how do you be patient? Where does the ability to be patient come from? Somewhat differently than the other fruits of the Spirit is, and I've said this many times, the fruit of the Spirit emerges. You know, it's very difficult to work on being humble. Um, You kind of almost fail as soon as you try. (laughs) I'm going to be more humble today. And you just failed. It emerges as you focus on other things. But James tells us to be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. It's a really interesting thing for him to say. Because be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Why is it that he links the coming of the Lord together with patience? And you're going to see that he actually gives more illustration in this passage as to why focusing on the coming of the Lord actually results in being patient in our current life. Another way of saying it might be this, is contemplating the future brings hope and patience to the present. It takes our eyes off our present circumstances and attaches it on something that is far more powerful that is coming to the future. It also tells me, this scripture, be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, that there is an end coming. This too will pass. I am not going to stand here and tell you like some of our prosperity preachers might That if you say a certain passage of scripture enough times, or if you give enough money, or if you do something enough or whatever, then then you will get. That is just unbiblical. I can't stand here and say that whatever it is that you're going through is going to come to an end in the way or when you want it to. We only need to look at history to see that God's plan, God's purpose of making you complete and perfect, often doesn't include your plan. (laughs) And as you grow older, you'll realize that your best laid plans actually do come to nothing when it comes to the hand of the Lord, because he's got a better plan for you. But this will pass, my friend. Whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever it is that you're struggling, whatever is causing worry, whatever is causing angst, whatever is causing you to stay awake at night, whatever it is that's going on in your health, whatever it is that's going on in your family or in your child or in your relationships or your business or your work, this too will pass until the coming of the Lord. Because we have a greater hope if you're a Christian. There is an end date. And then he gives us an illustration. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits. See how he waits. How does the farmer wait? Now, I have to be careful because I have a world-famous farm, world, uh, farmer in our midst, John Casorso. But what I do know, I think I'm right, and please yell if I'm wrong, John. You don't just wait with passive resignation. The farmer puts the seed in the ground. 
He tends to the soil. He tends to the ground. He lets God be God while actually actively waiting for God to be God. That it's not, well, I don't need to do anything. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to complain and get angry when the crop doesn't come when I want it to come. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. But ultimately, it's going to be God who brings this. He's going to be God who brings the rain, the precious fruits from the earth. You see, the farmer tends the crop, does all he can while God does his part. The farmer is dependent on something outside himself or herself. But somewhere along the line, our culture tells us, actually, you're dependent on you. And it's a lot like the farmer planting the seeds, then tending the soil, then digging the seeds up and going, well, maybe I need to use different seeds and putting more seeds back in the ground and I'm going I'm to force this thing to happen. And it might be that you get a short-term crop, but it won't be as prolific and as beautiful as it would be if you actually just let God be God with your circumstance of your life. This is a part two from what I said last week. Maybe there comes a point where we just have to let go, open-handed to the things that are in our life and say, actually, God, you, I surrender all. We let God be God. So as we wait, James tells us, we're waiting, we're tending, we, we spend time with the Lord, we continually fight for uh, uh, our hearts, establishing our hearts, he says. Be patient, establish your heart. So in the waiting, it's not this passive resignation, grumbling, we actually establish our hearts. One of the most precious things that I do on a, as much as I possibly can is journal. I would highly recommend that every Christian journal. There's something really powerful about spending time with the Lord and just writing down thoughts and prayers and frustrations and, and, and stuff. I, I call it kind of just brain belching, soul dumping on the piece of paper that is before me just writing. Do you know what is a really powerful practice? Is actually just in one journaling session is only write and give thanks for the things that God has given for you, the things, the good things that God has done in your life. To actually place and establish your heart and what he's done in the past enables us to find hope in the future. That the coming of the Lord, see the coming of the Lord is going to be a fearsome day. It's going to be a fear-filled day in many ways, but it's also going to be a day where we're promised that those things that we've been waiting for come to fruition. That justice comes no more tears, peace on earth, new earth, new heaven. We get new life with King Jesus on the throne. It's going to be a beautiful day. And it might be that day when the circumstances seem to change in alignment with the way that you would hope. It might not happen before. But to establish our hearts on what the Lord is going to do in the future starts with focusing on what is happening in the present. It may come as a surprise to those of you who have been around for the last uh, number of years is I'm a fairly large Manchester United fan. I know I don't mention it very often. But what I really enjoy watching is the games and, and, and get excited because their first game is next week. But what's happening right now on social media is they're just filling social media up with all the highlight clips of how amazing Manchester United is over the years. And there are many highlight clips, I'm thankful to say. It's just something exciting about looking at how good we used to be. It doesn't matter if we're not that good right now, but we can go, oh, the glory days. Those were the days. 
You know, when we won the treble, if you see my Jeep, you'll see MUTD, Man United 99, because in 1999, that's my registration license plate. Yes, I am that sad. Um, They won the treble. Those were the days that even no matter how bad it is today, I can look at the highlight reel and I can remember that that team brought me a lot of joy. Friends, we need to spend more time looking at the highlight reel of our lives when it comes to what Jesus has done. Not what you've done, but to spend time, maybe as a couple, let's just sit down and write out some of the highlights of the way that God has provided, the way that God has done good things. I heard someone say this week, the same God who brought you through before will bring you through again. It's the same God. To spend time remembering Establish your heart. Focus on the highlight clips. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his mercy and compassion. Focus that there is a day coming where there will be a new earth and a new heaven. And no more COVID. No more masks. Hallelujah. Focus on his return. And then James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Often when the word prophet is used in the New Testament, it's not just talking about the minor and the major prophets, but you you can look at those. Just choose any one of them. What you're going to see is persecution and patience and hope and glory. That's their life. But then you look at the other prophets, the other people in the Old Testament. Think about Abraham. Abraham, you are going to have a child. You're going to have a son. Patience needed to kick in. Joseph, who was betrayed, sold to, lied, sold, lied to, forgotten about in jail, thrown in a pit. Pit, P-I-T, prophet in training. That's what it's like. You feel like you're in a pit. But Joseph's future, that patience that he had to have being forgotten about. Moses, that future leader, that future liberator, spent 40 years forgotten about in a desert with sheep, even before God mentioned anything about uh, Egypt. David. One of my favorite stories of David is when he was first anointed by Samuel. Samuel, it says, anointed him from the head to the toe that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. That's what the Scripture says. It's amazing. You are going to be king of Israel, David. But for right now, you need to go back and look after those sheep on the side of the mountain for the next 15 years. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have spears thrown at you and Saul, the king right now, is going to hate your guts. See you in 15, David. That ability to hear from the Lord, believe what he says, to focus on how good he is will give you hope in the present while we wait for the coming of the Lord in the future. What is it you're waiting for? Maybe you're not waiting for the coming of the Lord, the second coming, but maybe you're waiting for the coming of the Lord in a particular circumstance, in a particular life, in a particular moment, in a particular promise that God has said to you in the past, that you truly believed years ago that God said something to you about someone or about something or about a place, and you're waiting for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the promise. Can I encourage you, don't let go of the promise just because the present circumstance seems to belay that promise coming. Hope. And then while we're waiting, get active. I love the fact that Paul, while he's in prison, wrote some of the most amazing letters that to this day we still read and find hope and joy in Philippians. He was in the Philippian jail. So he was in the jail writing to the church in Philippi. And while he's writing, he's talking about rejoicing and joy and hope. Make the most of the circumstance you're in now. 
young person, don't wait for the next life event to happen before you actually start getting going with life. Well, when I leave school, then I will. Because I promise you, as soon as you leave school, you'll probably go to the next school, and then you'll be like, well, when, when I leave this school, then I'm really going to get involved in ministry, or I'm going to get involved in the church, or I'm really going really gonna to go for it. Because when you get to the end of that second school, there'll be another reason why you can't. And before you know it, you're in your you know, midlife crisis, buying a sports car or a Jeep. Wondering, when, when actually am I going to get going with this? Establish your heart. Establish your mind. Make the most of the moment you're in. So while you're in grade 10 or 11 or 12 or first year university, do everything you can to fulfill the call of the Lord on your life in that moment. This is why we want young people on the stage leading us in worship. Because we want to give them opportunity. We throw them the keys to actually start ministering now. They're not the future generation there now think about martin luther while he was excommunicated he sat and you can still visit this to this day the table and the chair and the cell if you like is still there that he translated the bible from latin to german and while he did so he standardized the modern german language while he was just waiting but what do we tend to do You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. What James is doing here is he's putting grumbling against one another connected with being judged, which means it's a sin. It's so easy to misplace our hope. We put our hope in someone else and when then they don't come through, we grumble against them. James is saying, don't do that. Don't expect from someone else something that God can only provide. Can I get really practical, parents? If we find ourselves in a place where we are relying on our kids to behave in a certain way, believe in a certain God, act in a certain way, think a certain way, if we're reliant on our kids to do those things so that we can feel joy and we can feel peace, and we can feel relaxed. That's called codependency. So when they're up, we're up. When they're down, they're da- we're down. When they're up, we're up. When they're down, we're down. That's called codependency. It's what happens when you have an addict in your life or somebody who's abusive. When they're doing well, I'm doing well. But somehow in our culture, we've made it acceptable as parents to encourage our kids to thrive. That's brilliant. But at the same time, we've got to find our joy and hope in the coming of the Lord. We've got to find our hope and joy in the promise that he's given to you about them. We've got to find our joy and hope in him and him alone. So that as they do this, and they will, all the time, several times a day, that we actually have just got this ability to stay strong and hope-filled and peace-filled and joyful and patient in the midst. So let's not grumble about our children. Let's not grumble about the circumstances. Let's actually do what James says and put our hope in the one that can only provide that which we're looking for. As we bring this to a close, he says this in James chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. So even though life might suck, you can still be blessed if you have patience and steadfastness in your life. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So the purpose of the Lord 
comes through even in the most dire of circumstances. Job is an interesting study. We haven't got time this morning to get into Job and his life. One thing we do know in Job chapter 19, he is scraping his own skin because of the boils that are happening at that moment. He's lost kids. He's lost everything. And he says, I know my Redeemer lives because it was not the end of Job's story. See, God had a greater purpose. He had a greater purpose. And we know when we read the end of the story, the purpose of the Lord for Job was that Job would be strengthened. He would be vindicated. He would be restored. And here's what's fascinating. He never finds out why it all happened. He never gets an answer from God as to why these circumstances happened. He just gets a reminder from God that God is God and he knows best. And he was strengthened and vindicated and restored and he had everything and more added back to him. But the purpose of the Lord, that hope that is found in the Lord, it was not the end of his story. So as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, well, what is the end of the story? What is the thing that we can ultimately look forward to? You see, we know that it's not the end of the story, that your suffering is not the end, that there is a day when it will come to an end. He knows how much you can handle. He knows that he will only give you what you can handle. The scripture says that. And then in Revelation 21, we get a little bit of a window into what our future hope is. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. As you leave this morning, and you head towards your car, and maybe towards the circumstance that you're finding some relief from this morning as you listen to me and you spend time worshiping with us, my prayer is that you will patiently pursue him that you will patiently place your eyes upon the one who is ultimately hope-filled, that your patience will steal your soul. You'll find hope in the coming day of the Lord, the day when there won't be any tears, there won't be any sickness, there won't be any pain, there won't be any crying, there won't be any mourning, that King Jesus will be on his throne on a new earth. But it also causes me to ask a significant question of some. Do you truly place your hope in him? Or are you still believing that somehow you have everything it takes in order to fix you? That somehow you have the resources to be able to not only fix you, but to fix others around you? And like I said last week, you might feel like you're drowning while at the same time trying to save other people who are drowning around you. Have you placed your attention on him? Do you habitually place your attention on him, Christian friend? Is spending time with him, resting with him in silence and solitude and prayer actually a habit in your life, a spiritual discipline as an apprentice of Jesus, as you'll read in the ruthless elimination of hurry? Is that a habit in your life? 
Or do you keep getting drawn back to your own ability and your own power and in it finding impatience and discontentment? And if you've never come to the place where you've come to the cross of Jesus and on it recognize that he patiently, mercifully, lovingly still looks at you and woos you towards what he did on the cross, that all the sin and the shame and all the things that keep us separated from God are done away with in that moment when he died and rose again. Have you truly believed that? Because in that, you do then have a new day to look forward to, a day that is full of joy and peace and hope. And in that, we can be patient. So when I look at COVID, and if I circle all the way back, and I look at the pandemic, we have no clue how long this is going to go on for. And it seems to just drag on and on and on, just like that line. But there actually doesn't seem to be any fast pass. So how do we approach that? How much better it is for us to find hope and joy in the Lord, not in the latest thing that Bonnie Henry announces, or doesn't, that we can find hope and joy. I'm so encouraged that so many of you came out tonight, uh, this morning. So encouraged. Let's as a church find our hope in Him. And as we look at potentially finding a new place to live, or not, who knows, Let's patiently find our hope in him. He knows the coming of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. And then I'm going to hand back to Sarah and the team. Let's just close our eyes. Enjoy these moments. Place our attention on him. Maybe even now, just quietly start thanking him the things in the past where he has proven himself, not that he needs to, but that he has shown his mercy and his love, his power, his strength. Maybe just quietly reflect on your own personal highlight reel that he has given you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, Lord, that we would find significant hope in you this morning. And God, we recognize that often we have to fight for that hope. Lord, the world will continually woo us back to believing that we can do it. But Lord, I pray in this moment that you would remind us as we reflect on all the good things that you continue to do for us, that Lord Jesus, you are our king. You are in control. You are still on the throne. Lord, I pray for those who have promises in their lives, Lord, that they are waiting on. Lord, I pray that you would just quietly whisper to them. Encourage them. And Lord, I pray that 
as we sing now and we worship and praise you and place our attention upon you, that God, that that wouldn't come to an end just because this service is coming to an end. But Lord, we would take that into a confused, hurting, lonely world. That God, our hope in you and the coming of the Lord would shine. Guard us from grumbling, being critical. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that prioritize, Lord, the spending of time with you, that silence, that solitude, that rest.